welcome back to the What The Fork Happened This Week podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. We've dropped back down with Trio today after having four of us, or potentially five of us, with a cat on there as well. But Ian's cat, Ruby, has decided to sit this one out this week, as has Ian. But to discuss the weekend that was, we've got Oscar returning at the pod. How are you, Oscar? You all right, mate? Oscar? Yeah, it's oh. on, mate. Yeah, all good. Yeah, bro. Why did I call you Oscar? Um, <laughs> it's a dodgy middle name, which I always seem to run with, so that's fine. Absolutely cool, mate. Because <laughs> I was speaking to Oscar beforehand. <laughs> Jesus. And, and Jack, uh, I just what can I call you? Tom. Tom, how are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm all right. How, how are you, Steve? You all right? <laughs> Getting by, mate. Getting by. Um, first things first, as always, we're all Sunderland fans. Let's crack on with Crap on with Sunderland for 10 minutes because um, all 10 of our fans that listen to this will want to hear our thoughts on, on Charlie White. Um, another win. Um, I watched the game. Uh, I'll come to you first. Carl, did, did you watch the game on, on Saturday, may I? I didn't, I didn't watch the game. Um, I've seen the highlights. Um, it's tough to, to catch the games when our game's on at the same time, like in the Northern League and stuff. But um, I watched the highlights. Three points is three points um, from the highlights and from what everyone was saying on Twitter um, and Facebook and stuff. We didn't play particularly great, um, but <laughs> a win's a win. Um, back-to-back clean sheets, three points. It, the best teams who go on to win leagues and get promoted and stuff don't necessarily play the best football. They just grind results out. And I think that's a massive result at home for us Saturday. Yeah, it's absolutely huge, especially against like... I mean, Oxford and Peterborough, to the, in my opinion, to the best sides in the league, and I think Peterborough showed a lot on on Saturday. But like, I mean, fair enough. You're, you're talking if Clark Harris goes at one of the first half a different game, but it's nice to be the team that's kind of going. Well, we didn't play that well, but a win's a win. Like rather than being like, oh man, if we just put this chance in, that chance in, we took our chance. We scored the penalty. Um, they they didn't score, and we kept a clean sheet, and that that's all we need to do in it really. So that's basically it. Um, Jack, did you watch the game, AI? I did actually, yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of entertainment, I think if uh, if anyone's ever suffering from an insomnia to watch that Sunderland game on uh, on Saturday, because it'll sharp get you off to sleep. It's far from entertaining and interesting, but like uh, like you said, you know, a win's a win at the end of the day, and grinding out the results are probably what's going to take you from the, the playoffs, maybe even in the automatic positions. I mean, when you think about last season and the year before. How many times we drop points, either losing games or drawing games, that really there was absolutely nothing in. You know, when you look at that and think that should have been a win, really. So it's nice to be on the other side and coming out of it with a three points. There's a game that I remember a couple of years ago against Peterborough, and it was the one that a few people probably remember. I think Max Power scored in like the 87th minute. And then. Yeah, and they scored straight after. Yeah, it was what was it, Gordon that scored, wasn't it? I think Matt Gordon yeah. scored. Glad he was at Coventry and he scored like the like the 90th or 91st minute and that killed off our it killed off our promotion hopes at the time of automatics anyway. Um so like on Saturday it was a case of I think Ledbetter cleared it off the line. But you look at that and you think like a couple of years ago, would that or even last year, would that have been a game where we might have like wilted at the end and done done a Sunderland? I think that was the thing. It's the fact that we didn't do a Sunderland. We're probably looking at the game a bit more objectively rather than just being angry going all right, well, it's kind of worked out, but how can we be better? Which is it's definitely a good place to be. But touching on Grant Ledbetter, Carl, I wanted to come to you about that. Um, I think there's been loads said about Grant Ledbetter over the past 
sort of year and that his legs have gone and he's, he's not good enough. And you know what? I know everyone's wishing him well and everyone, that obviously everyone's delighted to see him back because of what's happened you know, with his mental health the past year. But do you know what? He's been our best player, in my opinion, the past two weeks. He's, he's not finished, is he? I don't think so. I think he, do, I think he can still um, offer quite a lot in the in the division. Um, from what I'm told from the from inside training and stuff, he's as fit as anyone at the club. Um, this I'm told when they go into little little short sided games, it's impossible to get the ball off him. Um, and he's proved he's, he's proven now, especially Saturday, that he's he's not done, and he brings a lot to the table. So um, I was chuffed a bits for him, generally chuffed a bits with him. Um, and hopefully it kicks on and it just gives everyone a bit of a boost. There's no one um, there's no one more Sunderland orientated in that team than Grant Ledbetter. And um, I think the rest of the players will just get a buzz off him from that. Yeah, I think I think when he scored, it's like we all collectively kind of breathed a sigh of relief because A, he scored a penalty, but B, because it was him as well at the same time. But like it would have been easy to look at the, the penalty and be like, oh, he's the match winner, that's great. But like even if it had been someone else who scored the pen, like, I don't know, O'Brien, Maguire, whoever, I, I still think Ledbetter was the best player on the pitch. It was just nice that he had that to, to cap it off. But, but Jack, do you have any different thoughts on Ledbetter? Do you think that maybe we're going overboard or do you think he's starting to prove people wrong? Uh, I think he, he really showed what, what he's all about on Saturday. Do you know what I mean? He, he can he can be that fulcrum in the middle whereby you can put it in room and he can dictate the play and spray passes. He can set the tempo and then he can go up and not take and steady things down in the last few minutes when we were trying to see the game out. And I think his leadership and his, his experience you can't you can't put a price on that. You know, he, people saying his legs have gone. Well, he, we don't we don't want Grant Leonard to be chasing up and down the pitch. You know what I mean? He's not that type of player that we need to be. He doesn't need to be going past players and creating things. He's, he's sitting in the midfield and he's, he's dictating our play. And if we can get as much of our play through him and he can keep playing like that, I'm sure how valuable he can, he can be, particularly with the goal as well. I think everyone's chuffed from, you know, like you said, he's a summon to the core, isn't he? And I think with what's happened with these, these mental health problems, everyone wishes him the best. But that was just a nice moment, wasn't it? The front to come back and get that winner. And I always remember when he played for Sunderland against us, against Sunderland, sorry, against... Uh, for Middlesbrough against us when he scored the penalty, he went past and touched the touched the the pitch where I think his dad's ashes is, and that was a nice touch. So he's evidently still got that emotional connection with the club. Yeah, no, he definitely does, and I think um, the only pity about probably Saturday was that obviously it's his first goal since he's come back, um, and I think for me it's it's probably just a shame that he couldn't have shared that with us as well because I think we want I think we always wanted to share that I remember watching the video when he came back and it was such a class video watching him come back and it and it didn't really work out and it, and I kind of started thinking you know maybe it hasn't worked out and I, I think I've probably a point said oh I'd rather not play lead better but I'm delighted if I'm wrong about it and I'm delighted that he's proven us wrong because I think you know the amount of times when that Dembele kind of started in the first half, he looked nippy and I thought he's going to get in here and is he going to maybe do Ledbetter for pace? I was starting to think, oh no, Ledbetter not as fast as Dembele doing him and stuff like that. But gradually he got a grip with it and gradually that Dembele basically was like all farting the shite, wasn't he? He didn't do anything in the end. We talked about the game last week with Oxford and we had this debate about is it Greg, is it White? Is it, is it Danny Graham? And I think we all collectively agreed at the time, you know, myself, you, Carl, um, Connor and, and Ian, I think we all said, well, Charlie White's got his, his problems, shall we say, but he's, we seem to be a better team when he plays. However, he played on Saturday and, and, and I'm not 
a Charlie White hater, to be honest, but he just now came of it. It was like one of those annoying Charlie White performances where he wrestled everyone. So that means now we've played Greg in the first game, we've played Danny Graham in the second game and Charlie White in the third game. So do you think Phil Parkinson is probably as bemused as us, Carl, that he can't really decide who he's, who he's going to pick up front? Yeah, still, I don't think Saturday did him any favours. I think if Charlie White scores, champion, yeah, here we go, we'll kick on from here. Um, but then the performance that people are on about, on, about Charlie White from Saturday is there's been too many of them. Um, I know we said last week, he, when he plays, he always seems to work hard and put himself about a bit and does a little bit more for the team. But um, I think he just dropped under the radar a bit Saturday. He didn't, um, from what I'd seen, he didn't offer offer a great deal at all. Um, and I think it's back to the drawing board for Phil Parkinson. I really do. Yeah. Um, it just needs something to fall for, like fall into place and something to click, like we said last week. Um, unfortunately, it just wasn't Saturday. Yeah. And and it's like Danny Graham came on and didn't really do much either. And and Greg's still sitting there on the bench. And we, we actually, when, we, as we said last week, when Greg plays, we lump it. But um, I suppose it's none of them are like favourable at the minute but who would you play Jack where would you go because obviously you went on last week but would you have you got a favourite out of the three of them not really I think you know you have both pretty much said what I want to say he's just kind of he's just trying things isn't he he's putting one peg into one hole and then hoping that comes off and then he's taking that one out and putting another one in and he can't quite find the right one to fit at the minute can he I mean the good of different things like if you're talking about who I'd want to finish your dance I'd probably say Will Grigg then if you're talking about who I'd want to, to give defences a hard time and bash up against and use his body and be physical, I'd probably say Charlie White on his day. And then you've got the new lad, Danny Graham, who I think, well, if you've signed a striker, why not give him a chance? The other two haven't done that well in the time that they've been here. So is it time for us to give Danny Graham a chance and really show what he can do? So they've all got things kind of going for them in the minute. Now, I don't envy Phil Bartonson being in his position, but... Uh, yeah, we're not exactly screaming, screaming, shouting out with uh, with great choices, are we? Nah, not really. I think um, I mean, I'm still harboring hopes that Danny Graham can kind of put in some performances that he put in at St James's about what seven years ago, where he just absolutely murdered Stephen Taylor and he, he terrified him. It was brilliant. Um, but Danny Graham's performances like that were few and far between in the Premiership. But it, it was proof that he's he knows what he's doing and he's got a lot more experience now. And he's had. You know, he did recover from his, his bad first goal. So I'm I'm kind of almost tempted now to be like, well, I, Danny Graham, maybe Danny Graham, but I feel like I'm going to be changing this every week. And and I suppose if we were going to find a slight negative out of Saturday or, or the season so far, maybe would be that. But um, the, the big one that I wanted to leave on was probably about Phil Parkinson. I reckon if I went through my tweets, there'd be a few parky outs in there kicking about, probably. And probably around when I got home at about, 12 o'clock at night from Gillingham away after getting up at five in the morning. I reckon a few of them were around that time and that's the danger with Twitter. But I've never been a huge Parky fan, but I don't know whether people have noticed recently. I'm kind of turning a bit because he's... I'm, I'm thinking, right, he started off horrendously. I didn't want him. And then he went on this really good run. And I've got to, got to be honest, I think he would have got us in the playoffs if the, the season continued. I know he started faltering and... I know we didn't have that good of a season, but that run that we went on last season was really good. We played good football. We absolutely destroyed Wickham. Um, well, it seems everyone's destroying Wickham at the minute, doesn't it? But um, like mm-hmm. when, when it comes to what happens when you finish eighth in League One. Um, but like, I, I feel like he's 
he's actually doing all right. Like, I feel like he's going about his job quietly and just kind of getting the results. I mean, you know what? It could be egg on my face when could get beat next week off Charlton and I'm like, oh, I was wrong. But as we stand at the moment, as we speak, I think he's doing a decent job and I don't think he's probably getting the credit he deserves at the minute. What do you think, Carl? Um, I'm with you on the... I, I didn't want, particularly one Phil Parkinson. Um, <laughs> I thought there was the weed... We needed something a bit more, like a bit more like Sam Allardyce type of manager who came in and he, he demanded more from the board. And I always thought Phil Parkinson came across as a bit of a yes man. Um, but you've you've got to give him. He's had to have this summer, hasn't he? He's had to have his own preseason. Whether he, he, these are his own players that he's allowed to bring in or not, I don't know. Um, but he's he's got to be able to be given a bit more time to get the best out of them. Um, we've started. It, it, we're in a good position and arguably haven't really played anywhere near any type of decent football. Um, so can we only get better? I, I think you look at Saturday's result, for instance, um, last year or the year before, that, that's got a 1-1 draw or a 2-1 defeat all over it. Um, so uh, is it progress, it's got to be progress for me, beating teams like that who, who you'd fancy to win the league or at least get promoted. So I think... Uh, Definitely, um, <laughs> I'm one of them where I wasn't too sure at first, didn't want him, but now I'm kind of starting to warm towards it. If that's the way it's going to be, then get behind him and, and let's crack on. Yeah, I've quite like, just when I've seen the stuff that Sunderland have posted on Twitter, and I, like, I quite like when the players are coming out of the tunnel and he's just like, come on, lads, come on. Go on. And, he's like, and he's calling by their first name and stuff like that. Come on, Chris to Chris McGuire. The players seem to, I know sometimes I don't seem to respond to him on the pitch with certain results, especially last season, but... They seem to like him. They, they seem to like want to play for him. And I think that maybe it's time we just kind of went, right, he's, he's here. He's getting results. That's, that's kind of given the benefit of the doubt. But um, but Jack, are you are you a fan of Parky? Are you Parky in, Parky out? Or are you still a bit shaking it all about with Parky? I would say the third one, to be fair. I think I'm a bit uh, hoity shaking it all about. I think <laughs> he's been a little bit stop-start, hasn't he? I, I'm yeah. the same man. I've, I've never really... If someone went, it was probably the least inspiring appointment I think someone had ever done when we appointed him. It was like Phil Parkinson's appointment, and it was just like a like a you know when you you, you blow the thing. It was just like literally the, the worst the worst kind of celebration ever. And I don't think anyone really wanted him. And I think he's a type he's a, he's a type of manager that's similar to someone you mentioned Sam Allardyce. I think he is similar to Allardyce. You have to forget about everything else, style of football, and his comments. And you have to just judge him on purely on his results. And even that's been a bit hit and miss. But I think this season, fingers crossed, two out of three, we seem to be grinding out results and not particularly playing well, which is the opposite of what we've perhaps done under Ross when we used to play really well in matches and only really come away with the points. So I think you have to judge him purely on his results um, and, and really give him a fresh start. Because he had, he had the iffy start, then he had the good run, then we got broken up. So... Kind of been have to judge him on you know this season alone. Really, he's not got you haven't got a great deal of kind of last season to judge him on. Um, so I think I, I'm behind him. I'm not a really passionate supporter of him, but I'm willing to give him a try and, and you know hopefully hope for the best. Really, he just I think he think you say I think he, he just was uninspiring, wasn't he? He is a substitute teacher. That's exactly what he looks like. Like he's a substitute teacher. You're going to rip the piss out of. That's what he looks like. But for some reason, the, the lads don't seem to be ripping the piss out of them. They seem to be getting the results. 
I was just going to say, two of my, um, a couple of my mates are Bradford fans who I went to uni with, and they spoke really highly of him and said, you know, he, he, he really gets the supporters and, you know, he's in intuition with them and he'll get the best out of every player. They said exactly the same. They said, he's not going to come in and play super football. You're not going to be really excited by him. But one thing they'll guarantee is he'll get the maximum out of every single player. He'll drain every little bit of energy, every little bit of talent out of the players that we've got. So maybe it's just taking a while, taking them nine months out of the year, however long he's been here to get a call. Hopefully this is the start of it. Like, yeah. I was just going to say, the, the type of manager that he that um, it seems to me in the, train, in the training ground and in the dressing room is you look at the Aidan McGeady situation as well. Aidan McGeady's run out of options. No one else wants to take him on. He's, from what I can gather, he's offered to change and change his ways and all the rest of it to get back into the Sunderland side. And Phil Parkinson, to his word, said, no thanks, like I'm not interested. Um, and for a man to do that, fair play to him. Shows strong management to me, so I think it's great. See, so, yeah, I think with McGeady and Parkinson, I just think they need to bury the hatchet. I think there's a lot of sexual tension there, to be honest. That's what I think it is. I think they just need kissing. Horrible mental but... image. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Aidan might disagree. Um, so away from Sunderland, uh, there's something that I've. I don't know why it just dawned on me, but I was watching. Obviously, everyone's seen Leicester absolutely hammer uh, Man City. And if anyone hasn't seen Leicester's tweet today, by the way, it's tremendous. Uh, very, very oh, good work, excellent. media man. It's excellent, isn't it? Jimmy Vardy has consistently been scoring for ages and ages and ages. And he's been seen as that, that kind of non-league sort of, oh, that, that's, that's really good of him. Like, you know, he came up from non-league, he's done this, he's, he's a dream. But rather than him just being seen as someone who's done really well and come from like a non-league, is he now like a, a bona fide Premier League legend? Because I, I think he's like, in time, would be iconic. I mean, I come to you first, Carl, but is he, can we class him as now a Premier League legend? Absolutely. Yeah. Too right. Um, prolific goal scorer since he stepped foot into the Premier League. For me, it's a it's a great story. Um, him coming from non-league football, um, part-time job, part-time footballer, all the way up, all the way through. Um, and it gives gives lads who are playing non-league football who might have dropped out of academies or whatever to hope and to look at someone like that saying, if you're in the right place at the right time and you're working hard enough, then there's always a chance. Um, but in terms of Jamie Vardy's goal scoring, there was a tweet came out earlier on that it, um, showed his, um, his goal scoring record against the, the so-called Big Six. Um, and over the years, 10 goals against Arsenal, nine against Man City, seven against Liverpool, five against Spurs, four against Man United, three against Chelsea. And I think something like that, playing in a Leicester side, um, which has, hasn't always been as, as good as what it is now, is, is phenomenal. And that, um, that's all down to him. The only thing with Jimmy Vardy, though, his wife's a grass. She is that. Proper grass. grass. Alleged grass, anyway, but alleged grass. Maybe that takes the, the legendary status from him because he's, he's misses is allegedly a massive grass. Um, apart from his, his grass and misses, Jack, do you reckon Jimmy Vardy's a Premier League legend with a grass and misses? He's, he's certainly up there. If he isn't a legend already, I think at this current rate he's scoring, if he keeps up another season or two, he's going to come into Coming to the equation, I mean, he's won a golden boot, he's won a Premier League title. He says he scored all the all the scored against all the top teams. I think he's what I enjoy about him is 
he's kind of a little bit of a throwback, I think. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a throwback to the olden footballers. That you know, he 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 admits he's not the most polished of characters, and I like the thing about him a few years back when he was getting injuries and he was bleeding quite a lot, and the physio said, "Why are you bleeding so much?" And it was because he was doing the skittles and the vodka trick. And I just thought that was I thought that was great, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like someone a Premier League footballer to do something like that, like someone on a Sunday league would do. You know, someone that's playing for a Sunday league team would do. I thought it was catacraft. Um and I think he's he's quite clever with his, his talent as well. He won um won back to the days when he was at Fleetwood and Stockbridge Park Steels and that before that. I think he's someone that's obviously he's got the maximum amount of his he's got the maximum amount of his ability and he's had a sniff of an opportunity and he's grasped it. You know what I mean? And I think you you know, you consider the money's million spent on the modern Leicester. I don't think Leicester spent much than half a million or something to pay. You know what I mean? And you think of someone who's just maximised the little bit of a talent that they've got and they've had a sniff of an opportunity and he's just made the most of it. And I think fair play to him, like. It's just, I've just noticed he's like one of those players, like, I would never say I'd grow up and, and watch Leicester. Not even in the Martin O'Neill days, I'd never sit and go, ooh, Leicester's on the telly. But if Jamie Vardy's on, like, I'll be like, oh, he's had a good game, I'll, I'll make sure I watch much of the day because I know that he's, he's either yeah. shit out someone, he scored a good goal, or like he's just put in a cracking performance and, and shocked someone. But I was just watching it and, you know, I thought, you know, take Vardy out of Leicester, would they have had anywhere near the success they've had? He's, he's literally that good. But that, that kind of brings me on to that as well. We're, we're talking about Jamie Vardy, but Leicester beat Man City 5-2 at City. That's mental, that. And I know, I know Leicester are, they're not a surprise package anymore like they were a few years ago when they won the league and, it, it took to like Christmas before people were like, oh, bloody hell, they're, they're actually, they might do this. I, th- I know people see them as potentially a top four side now because of the way they've, they've played pretty much since Rodgers has came in, I think. But I, but I think that kind of result instills the kind of belief that they may have got a couple of years ago when they won the league. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to win the league. I, I don't, that's not what I'm saying. But I reckon they could sneak in, not just the top four, the top three this season. Am I being ambitious towards Leicester here, Carl? I don't think so, mate. Um, played 3-1-3 <clears> to start with. Um, I think we touched on it last week about the the group of teams that have like nipped that that top four even tighter. Um, so I think the top four could be anything from six. Um, and I, I think they're definitely... Leicester, Leicester in a top four, it doesn't look out of place for me. Um, yeah. and I think they've got if they keep the if they keep the squad fit and they, they carry on from the start that they've had then um, there's no reason why not they're a cracking side I mean I really like watching them like because they all work proper hard they've all took that ethos from when they kind of won the league of just like literally working their bollocks off which I think is led by Jamie Vardy up front because he's always on the high press and I mean he's 34 now and he's you know, you know, it's a shame with Jimmy Vardy that it never really worked out from at England level. Not, not really. Not the way it probably should have done. He's probably going to be seen like a, a Kevin Phillips in that sense. But so Jack, obviously, one of the the big talking points of the weekend was that well, there was a penalty given to Newcastle, and Steve Bruce came out and said, effectively, he didn't agree with their decision, which is a, a bit of a weird one. But I think this has been going on for a while, where there's been arguments about. The, the rules of the game and the way things are interpreted and how much of it we take it to the letter of the law and that kind of stuff. Um, but but Brucey, as he normally says, that's for sure, didn't agree with it. Um, 
what are your thoughts on, I mean, none of us like a pen for Newcastle, let's be honest, but like taking it objectively, I guess. What did you think of the decision? Do you think things need to change? It was, it was refreshing to hear a manager speak. Honestly, wasn't it? How many managers would have said, oh, yeah, it was a correct decision. I've got it my way. And, you know, it was nice to hear someone be honest. I think I don't see why they changed it or why, why you know, there's this arm thing. And if it's here on the arm, if it's there on the arm, and if it hits your arm, it's a penalty straight away. I think you need to look at each case on its own. I think you've got to look at things like how close was the hand away from the ball, whether his arms were up or down. Do you know what I mean? You can't just hold your blanket over it and say, yeah, if it's hit his hand, it's a penalty. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think apparently the Premier League have, have changed the ruling so it's in line with other countries in UEFA, I think. So La Liga and Serie A, I think, I think I, that's, that's what I heard. Anyway, I might be wrong. I don't say why we need to change and adapt to other countries. When we've got a great league. We've got a great spectacle. Why cause so much problem and change it? I just don't see the logic in it. I think we should go back to the way it was before. Yeah, because I think that's what Brucey was saying, wasn't it? He was saying like, we seem to follow to the letter of the law and align things or something, which I think obviously was kind of what you were saying. And he's just like, I don't, I don't get why we're doing it. Um, but the, the, the handball is weird. It's like, I understand that there's certain people that just want clarity, um, which I kind of understand when they say, you know, if it touches the hand, it's handball. And, and I, I can understand that because it, when you leave it up to interpretation, you get a lot more frustrated fans, I guess. But this is not even like leaving it up into interpretation or, or, or being black and white with it. It's like there's still parts of the arm where it's like it is handball, it isn't handball, no matter what action your, your arm's in. I mean, it, Jeremy Beadle would have a, a real struggle with this, wouldn't he? Um, but, but, but Carl, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, it's not a penalty, is it? Uh, like, no. It, it, if you don't have VAR, VAR, it's not a penalty. Um, it's great to hear Steve Bruce. It's the first time I think I've ever agreed with him in my life. <laughs> um, it, it's nice to, like Jack said, it's nice to hear a man, opposition manager come out and agree that it wasn't a decision that should have been made. Um, VAR can work, um, but I think you've got to allow the referees and whoever's controlling it to use a bit of common sense and not just go at the letter of the law every time. Um and that's why that's why one of the best leagues, and we've been one of the best leagues in the world with the Premier League for so many years, um, because they've had the, the high standard of referee, and that's been there. And I think they should just be allowed to referee. Um, and I think you just see you see a totally different game. It's just so easy for them to hide behind the oh well, this is what we've been told sort of thing. But then on the flip side, you, you kind of get mad at them for standing behind something they've been told to do because effectively it is their job that could potentially be on the line and I think refereeing is a lot different to what it used to be and stuff. I think someone just needs to, like like you said, just let them referee. Just kind of... I, I like the days when referees made mistakes. I never thought I'd say that. I mean, it happens all the time in League One, but like I've never sat and thought, God, I wish we had VAR at any point. It's, yeah, it so kind of brings more into the conversation, doesn't it, when it's yeah. human well, error? Uh, Ben Foster put a tweet out um, on Sunday night saying, if that if that's the way the Premier League's going, I'm quite happy to stay in the Championship. And I thought I'd, I'd laugh my head off at it because he's absolutely right. Let them keep it. Uh, that's fine by us. <laughs> he's a nice lad, Ben Foster, isn't he? I've watched a few things with him. He seems like a nice lad. I'll forgive him for playing for United, but he seems like a nice lad. I wonder if he'd come he's a on. Nice lad. Just a nice bloke, and he? he just seems I know, like. Not enough footballers are just nice lads, are they? That's the problem these days, <laughs> There's just not there's not enough nice lads in the game. It's not it's not about characters. Just not enough you nice watch, lads. 
you warm to some players, don't you? And he's obviously one you warm to. Just seems like a good kid. Seems like uh-huh. I, I reckon I'd have a pint with him and like learn something. <laughs> don't know what I'd learn, maybe. but summit. Uh, <laughs> Just like how to speak to people more professionally. Think it'd be well read. Do you think it'd be well read? Absolutely. Okay. I reckon if he went in his house, he's going to blatantly have. I don't think it'll be an alphabetical order, but he'd have a bookshelf that's pretty, pretty heavy. I don't think he'd be like obsessed with books, but he'd have them, a lot of them. But they wouldn't be like, oh, like I've read, been reading this this day. I reckon he'd read like one every two months. Give Not like uh, Chris Finch in the office, he read a book every week. Nah, nah. Don't think he'd have the time. I wonder how he. I wonder if he like holds these books with these goalie gloves. <laughs> Maybe. What? Carl, there's a question for you. Do, do goalkeepers do that? <laughs> yeah, all the time. We're digressing a little bit. Digressing a little bit. Is Lee Burge well read? <laughs> oh yeah, he's got a full library in his house and stuff, and in alphabetical order. And <laughs> I don't believe you. He doesn't look like a book reader. He's not Ben Foster. I don't. You're lying. He, he doesn't look like the kind of person that sits down with a nice Enid Blyton book or something. Just doesn't strike Enid me. Enid Blyton. Is he the first author that came to your head? Like, like was it Enid Blyton? I've got to be honest. It was like it was like. I, it was that a role doll. But I had that kind of panic where I thought, if I say, like, my favourite author, then I look like the arsehole that's, like, I read books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just went for, like, oh, who do I not read? Uh, it's just really it. hard to turn the pages with your gloves on and stuff, so it's a yeah. time. Uh... Does Lee ever drop it often? Never. Never. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely lying. Um, moving away from goalkeepers reading books, I don't know how we got there. Um Let's, let's go into the, the happy subject of COVID. Yes, COVID, which seems to not be going absolutely anywhere anytime soon. Um, I, I didn't read too much into this. I'm going to hold my hands up um, and say, like, I didn't look too far in it, so I might look like an absolute goon here. Like, But um, why was Hull and West Ham allowed to go to head when, when David Moyes got COVID again, um, may I add, and a couple of the players got them? Leighton Orient got a few as well, but then... West Ham could play against Hull and that was all right. But Leighton Orion got booted out. Like, is there something in the rules that says if, like, a shitey team gets COVID, they get kicked out of the cup? But if you're a Premier League team, it's fine. Is there something wrong with that? I'll, I'll come to you, Jack, actually. Like, is, that, is that how it is? Uh, well, the way that I read it, I, I, I did a little bit of reading on it, and apparently... West Ham only tested David Moyes and Obiang and I think there was another player got it as well. They only tested them about an hour before kickoff, 45 minutes an hour before kickoff or something stupid like that, which just totally seems completely flawed in the whole setup. And then Karen Brady, the charming, lovely, pleasant Karen Brady, she was saying that apparently West Ham had offered Hull to pay and do all of the tests. I think they were thinking... If, if a whole player turns up positive, we'll just say, oh, we can't play and we'll kick you out and so we'll get a free buy in the next round. I think that was our thinking behind it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the, if the rules down to, you know, who who the bigger team is and whether or not you can actually afford to pay for, the, you know, get the COVID test or something. I really, I don't know how it works. The most baffling part of that, though, obviously, like, David Moyes and the word positive. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like imagine imagine him seeing the results in positive for the second time I'm sure he's had COVID twice hasn't he 
Is that right? Is that, I'm sure he said COVID twice. Well, I mean, I could be wrong here again. Like, I should really fact check these kind of things. My research has been dire. I've been on, I got stuck on a coach for three and a half hours in the Yorkshire Moors. It wasn't great. Okay. Forgive me this week, listeners, all 10 of you. Um, but, like, imagine him just seeing the test and being like, positive. He would have just, he couldn't have reacted to that. He probably just would have, I'm trying to think of saying something funny here and I can't think of anything. But Carl. Probably told the COVID test it was in a relegation battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, well, with three games in, I've tested positive for COVID. Everyone's probably going to die. Probably, <laughs> the whole lot of us are probably. This is never going away, and it's probably going to mutate twice over. That would be his conversation, wouldn't it? He'd walk in and be like, "Right, lads, I've been tested positive for COVID. I'll probably get over it, but the problem is, it's going to mutate. It's going to get worse." There's going to be millions and millions of people who are going to die. Boris Johnson is yeah. going to blow the entire country up. By the end of it, you just be like, fucking hell, David. Like, just chill out. You know what I mean? It's fine. He'd clap his hands and go, right, best luck, boys. Come on, get yourselves going. Go and win the game. <laughs> I've gone way off a serious note here. I've had one coup as light, and that's it. I'm gone. Um, but, Carl, what, what, what's your thoughts on why was Leighton Orient kicked out, but, but like West Ham won it? I don't know the full ins and outs between the Leighton Orient and the Spurs one, but um, like Jack, I'd done a little bit of reading on the, the Hull and West Ham one, and uh, I think Grant McCann, the Hull manager, had kind of said they were handing the team sheets over at the time, and um, then they said that David Moyes and some of the West Ham players had had to be sent away. Uh, they, hadn't, they hadn't come into contact with them, so they, they were quite happy to go ahead with it. Um, and Grant McCann had said, well, we're here now. None of my boys have got it. We'll just get on with it. And I thought, fair play to him. <laughs> That's the idea, yeah. lad. That's great crack. He'd going from West Ham back to Hull and then have to rearrange it again. And I uh, sort of just get it played. Aye. But like, they said the window win near David Moyes. Yeah. That's what he said. They hadn't come into contact with him. So they were, um, he was quite happy to go ahead with it. How have they not been in contact with him? <laughs> to be fair, he's probably done him a favour. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they won. That's why they won four 0 yesterday because Moisey's not been there for ages. Um, but yeah, I found that absolutely baffling. But talk about baffling decisions. I cannot understand this one, I, and I don't get it. And it's not fair, and it's not right. Man United scoring a goal after the full time whistle's gone. How the hell has that become a thing where now VAR can pull back something that happened after the final whistle? My question to you, Jack, would be, is the final whistle the final whistle or can you just like pull up decisions after the final whistle now? It'd be good, wouldn't it, when you've, uh, you've had a stinker and now you can actually have the full-time. Well, actually, can we replay something that happened in the 35th minute? Because I think we might have had a penalty there. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I just think it, that it's what, what Carlo was saying before, you know what I mean? It, it needs clarity. The whole, the whole of the issue, what, how, how, it, how it's kind of born and how... They, they say that it's going to be VAR now and how it's given out to the audience. All of this needs clarification. The idea in principle that VAR is good. Yes, of course it is. Everyone wants it to be uh, smooth and everything and, and everyone wants it to rectify bad decisions. But we need to clarify exactly how it's processed and when it's used and things like that need to be ironed out. I think the game needs to be stopped while well there's a VAR check going on. I think that's another thing that I think is stupid because potentially there could be a VAR check going on and another team go up to the end and score. Now, what happens? Do you, give the, do you take the goal off them and give a penalty? You know what I mean? Because they didn't stop the game while the VAR check was going on. So it's just, it's crazy. I agree with you, Graham. It's absolutely crazy. And these things need to be ironed out. And I'm, I'm the same as you. I think if we don't get the issues ironed out and just 
don't don't play with VAR, play without it until we get everything sorted and smoothed over. Yeah, just fix it. I mean, it's like people. I mean, the big decision probably off the top of my head is the Lampard goal against Germany, and people go like, oh, like, but that was like. That was goal line technology. Do you know what I mean? Goal line technology is dead black and white and you find out in seconds. Like how often do you see a shot ping off the bar and you go, oh, and then you see a couple of players celebrate because the referee's gone, yeah, it's gone over. But VAR seems to pull things back from like 1999 now. And it's like, you cannot be doing that. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, I'm slightly worried they're going to like go back to Papi Cissé's goal that he scored against us and the Paolo de Cano 3-0 and go, Actually, lads, it was totally onside. Um, it's one-one. You've got to start again. But like, on a serious note, Carl, like, it's getting daft, isn't it? Yeah, it's sackless, man. Um, I'm the more the more I'm watching the Premier League and the more the decisions you see, the more you hate it. Um, yeah. I, one that one that one for me is how can the rugby get it so right with with them sort of them sort of things? They've got the referee and the guy. One guy up there by himself, the in dialogue all the time, making a decision, bang, it's done. That's it. No one argues, they get on with it. But we just seem to have this whole like circus around it. I know it's a talking point. Football's, it's great because football's opinions and football's a talking point. Uh, I'm not sure we can go to the pub and talk about it anymore, but um, that's oh, especially. another thing. <laughs> um, but now we, we're not talking about the, the games as much. Now we're talking about VAR, which is a load of shite, mate, honestly. It's rubbish. It's absolutely rubbish. It's like there's nothing better than watching football and caring about football where VAR doesn't doesn't exist. Because it's like, I mean, there was the incidents, I'm sure it was City or Spurs last season. I think City scored in the last minute of the Champions League quarterfinal or something. And they're bouncing all over the shop. And then VR went, oh, hang on, five minutes. It's not. Hmm. Just need yeah. to, just need to get back like like you said, Cole. Need to do it like lovely rugby because rugby's lovely, lovely rugby. But cricket um, as well. I think cricket gets it right as well where football doesn't. I think we're gonna learn from cricket as well. I know it's a little bit of a slower paced game, which helps. I do get that. Obviously, football's fast and frenetic. Cricket is slower paced, so it's easier to stop and check. But I think there's there's examples we could we could utilize cricket and use a better like cricket does. I think as well as rugby. Haven't hasn't like. Tennis got that, like, when you can challenge it three times or something like that as well. That's what I was saying. I was saying you should, each manager, in theory, you could probably pick holes in this, but in theory, what you could say is each manager or each team gets three chances to challenge a game, right? And then if manager indicates to a fourth official that you need to challenge the game, stop it, have it, and then get it right, and then do it. That may clear one thing up, you know what I mean? It might, that might help. But then you probably get in the last minute they would have managers that wanted to waste time to challenge the decision just so it wastes a bit of time. So... I suppose you could you could pick holes in every everything, couldn't you? Jeez, imagine Bristol Rovers with that decision. Right, lads, <laughs> didn't challenge anything until the 85th minute and we'll just challenge exactly. everything and we'll challenge it the same decision for five minutes at a time. That would be a, yeah. Three substitutions and then three challenges in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I suppose there's, there's downsides to everything really, isn't there? It would, it would only happen in League One, that, and, and particularly in Sunderland games. And then we get wrong for getting mad about not respecting where we're at, and then we get wrong for celebrating. We get wrong either way, don't we? Um, talking about the the lower divisions, which we're we're part of these days. A um, couple of League Two games called off um, because of COVID, uh, and and it's happened in the it's happened in the women's game as well. Um, I don't think officially, but that's the only reason I can think of. Like, I officially don't know this. 
but Newcastle's first few games have been called off. And the only thing I can think is it's a COVID situation. Um, I don't think that ever got announced. But there's like games sporadically getting called off and it's like because one person's got COVID and stuff like that. And I'm starting to be like, well, hang on a minute. I'm starting to panic and worry a bit now. Is this whole thing going to happen again where the low leagues just get called off? But I'll throw this one at you, Jack. Um, a couple of games suspended. Is it something to be worried about? Or do you think it's just like people are being taking precautions and eventually it's going to be all right? No, I think it is something to worry about. I think as, as a whole country as well, do you know what I mean? We seem to be just slightly getting towards some kind of normality. And then last few weeks, it's read its head again. And obviously the whole of the situation is that, you know, restrictions are being put in place again. So I think it is a bit of a worry. I think the fact is we were allegedly going to be getting, in theory, getting some fans back in October, I think. Was next was it next week or the week after was meant to be the plan to get some fans back in for this. But that's gone way, way back now. And I think financially, Sunderland might be one of those in League One because we are a bigger club, we'll be okay. But I think it's a real worry financially for the lower leagues because a lot of their state and the obvious, but a lot of their income is from getting fans into turnstiles and getting fans to watch the game. They haven't got the broadcasting revenue that Sky offers. They haven't got the commercial sponsors and activity that bigger clubs of the Pyramid Premier League have got. So, I mean, Matt went out of business and, and one or two others. I, I'll, be, I'll be really worried if I was a fan of like a, a league two, like a, a smaller club or even an Accurton Stanley or a Rochdale and our league about the future of my football club, I really would. Yeah, it's, it's getting that point. It's not, I don't think clubs are going to last another six months, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know the right answer. Um, to be honest, I, I haven't a clue. I'm not I'm not one of these people that is in any way, shape, as a former scientist. In fact, I was horrendous at that at, <laughs> at school. But um, I've got my ideas and my thoughts, but I try and keep them to myself with it as best as I can because I don't really know the the science and I trust what information I'm, I'm given, to be honest with you, from, from scientists. But like it is getting to a point where I'm like, hang on a minute, like these clubs are just going to die. And like a football club, a football club isn't a luxury. I've, I know some people see that as like, it's not the most important thing, but like you've seen it with Berry, we're, we're going to see it with Macclesfield. We're almost seeing it with Bolton, like a football club, especially, especially in the North as well, if I'm honest with you. And sometimes like the smaller clubs, like in London and stuff like that as well, are a heartbeat of a community. It's something that, I mean, imagine Sunderland without Sunderland. But Carl, do you think it's time to start worrying and maybe pushing back a little bit on these restrictions and saying, like, would we either do something at some sort of level or these clubs are going to die? Absolutely. Um, I think Frank Lampard touched on it last week, saying that it needs to start and filter down the leagues a lot more. Um, the, the lower league clubs... Um, must be praying for fans and stuff to get back in. Um, I've seen so many online club sales hitting on Twitter and stuff like that. And um, there just seems to be more and more little games kind of getting postponed all over the place. And that's mm-hmm. worrying because they're just creeping back up. Um, Sky Sports News had said tonight that uh, I think 10 Premier League um, managers, coaches and players across the last lot of testing had come out positive over the last couple of days which again that number's starting to go up and it's just really frustrating because it felt like you were getting somewhere football was back um, and we were, like, were on the right sort of track and we touched on it last week as well where we on about fans getting back into stadiums and stuff and um, it wasn't a major issue for me to get back into a stadium. But I'm just happy to have football back in some capacity. But for clubs to survive, they're going to need the fans back in. They just can't sustain it. It's not possible. 
I mean, it happened yesterday. Like, as people know, I, um, I work for Middlesbrough Women and we've managed to get, I think it's 10% of our attendances or something like that back. I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not the mathematician, to be honest, but like we had fans for our first game of the season against Hull. Um, we've got, we played filed yesterday um, behind closed doors. And it was just like, and then we've got Sunderland on the Thursday. It's at the stadium light and we're not allowed any fans. Um, which is just, it's one of those things where I'm like, how can some and, and then not others? And I'm and I'm just getting to the point where now I think because it's creeping back up that much, there is people just making a, a decision either they, they have it or they don't. But I mean, if there's anyone that, that's listening and thinking, oh, how can you do it safely? Like I can, I can guarantee you, like we've been doing it at Middlesbrough, you've been doing it at Children, you can do it safely. Like I think it's about time the nation as a whole was maybe just trusted a little bit more. Um, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong with that. Like I say, I'm certainly not a scientist, but I think we need to trust trust people a little bit more that we can not just be completely reckless with it all. Um, but then again, that could all change next week with with cases flying up and all sorts of stuff. And it's it's, it's where do you fight with it? But I'll, I'll leave it on this one. Um, the most interesting, shocking thing I heard all week, and it was mainly because I never expected it to come out of his mouth. You touched on Frank Lampard before. Um, Sean Dyche is like, no, shite with it. Burnley in the Premier League. I don't care anymore. Like, do what you want. Like, why is this happening? And he came out and said the signal. I was like, wow, you're definitely not socialist then, mate. A hundred percent. But like, were you quite surprised that Sean Dyche? Uh, I throw this to both years and you first, Jack. But just to touch, are you surprised that Sean Dyche is not? It's not the man's man after all, and only cares about himself allegedly. <laughs> Maybe he's lost it all. Maybe he's had a few years in the Premier League and it's all gone to his head. He's all like champagne and uh, Ferraris and stuff like that. I, <laughs> I always thought of him as like a meat and gravy man with that gravelly voice he's got. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to touch on what's already been said, I, I fully agree. I think you, you can't, it can't be right when you've got, in the whole 92, you've got someone like Gareth Bale, and he's the first player that came at my head, but he's on an obscene amount. I think Real Madrid is still playing, is at 400,000 or 350,000 of his wages, top of a playing hall. He's he's on like what three seven hundred grand a week something like that. Just I might be wrong with that figure, but and then you've got clubs that can't afford to pay the way the wages to the end of the season. It can't be right that if this doesn't make football remodel and have some kind of trickle down system whereby the Premier League funds lower league and, and, and more of it comes down, it never will because there's no other other tonic than football clubs going out of business. What can be worse than football clubs actually ceasing to exist? So just touching on that. It has to be, if this doesn't change it, it never will. Never, ever change if this doesn't change it. Um, but yeah, a bit surprised at Sean Dyche. I always thought he was a canny bloke, to be fair. Maybe he's just a bit of a bit of a knob. Yeah, I was like pure shocked. I was like, you just like you, mate. You used to think you were absolutely sound, but you're not. You're just a Premier League big boy now. Like, no, no, I just... Like Kevin Kagenstein, you've gone, you've gone down in my estimation when you said that, Dyche. <laughs> I'm not resolved to that. I'd love it. Love it if you went out of business. Um... I would love it if only went out of business. Love it. <laughs> It's just I, I imagine though Burnley fans like right call it. I read in that, and that my picture of Burnley fans is a bit like Sunderland fans. We're just you know a northern club. We love our football. We're like as you say, you know a, a pie and gravy or whatnot, fish and chips, and we just love our football on a Saturday. And then Sean Dyche comes out and is just like nah, shite with everyone else. Were you, were you quite surprised by Sean Dyche just basically going nah? Yeah, I was massively. Um, uh, yeah. You get Frank Lampard, who's one of the biggest clubs in the world, and you get Sean Dyche, who's arguably one of the smaller Premier League clubs. 
uh, might have a bit of sympathy where he come from as well in terms of playing career and all the way through. Um, I thought he might have been a bit more sympathetic. My part of his his comments were that he likened the uh, filtering the the money down from the Premier League all the way through the leagues as to like restaurants. He said that rest the restaurants help other restaurants out when they're struggling. I'm like that is a, that that's a nonsense comparison. It's not even close. Um, so he said, "Oh yeah, that means that we get punished for being successful." I'm like, "It's not being punished. It's just it's helping and making sure that football survives." For me, um, but it's just I kind of laughed, but I was frustrated. So it's just not being a dick, Sean. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like of, of all the managers you would think to make that type of comment, do you know what I mean? Like Mourinho would be up there, maybe a Jurgen Klopp. You know, the, the big, big name managers like you just wouldn't expect it from them, like. Like Carl said, you know, he came, did he come from Carlisle? I think he played for at one point, John Dyche. I might be wrong, you know. Uh, you couldn't get more working-class grassroots football, like he's been potato pie football than where he's come from. And maybe he's lost it all. Maybe he's had a few years in the Premier League and it's all gone to his head. I don't know. They do say money dangerous people, don't they? Correct. It's definitely changed Sean Dyche. Sean, if you're listening, stop being an arsehole. Be nice. <laughs> and we'll leave it. But please, if you fancy a podcast, <laughs> I, I 100% agree with your sentiments, yes. We should just <laughs> abolish football below the Premiership. Um, or the Premier League, as it's now called, showing the age there. Um, lads, always good coming back on. I think we went down a few rabbit holes there randomly. Footballers and uh, reading books with, with goalie gloves and uh, Aidan McGeady and Phil Parkinson having a secret a secret love affair. But that's where we're at. We're in week three. We can only get better. Um, but thanks for popping on, lads. Cheers. Maurice, cheers, mate. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers.